Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Premed Year, session number 365. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for taking some time to join me today. Hopefully, I have something good in store for you today. It's actually a recording of a talk I did at the UC Davis Pre-Health Conference in October of 2019. I had a videographer with me. We filmed it, so it's probably maybe on YouTube at some point in the future when you're listening to this. You can find my YouTube channel at premed.tv, and we recorded everything that was going on that day, including the talk that I gave during lunch. And that's what you're going to listen to today. So hopefully you got a lot of good inspiration, hopefully some motivation out of this talk. And if you want more stuff like this, let me know. Hit me up on Instagram, shoot me a DM. I'm at Medical School HQ. Thank you guys for coming. Even though you didn't really come for me, you came for the food. That's okay. I won't uh, make that mean anything about me. Um, how many people have heard about me, listened to my podcast, read maybe one of my books? Good. Good chunk of you. Good. So hopefully by the end of this, I'll have some more Instagram followers because that's all I really care about <laughs> is, is my Instagram account. Um, uh, but honestly, what I, what I hope you get away from today is the understanding that no matter where you are in this process, no matter what you've had to overcome in this process, that you can do it, that you can become a physician. How many of you are here at UC Davis? Awesome. So you know, because you have good, you have great pre-med advising here, that you can do it if you want to. How many of you have been told that you should have a plan B. <laughs> She's like, I know what he's going to ask. I'm raising my hand. Have a plan B. You got to see in orgo. You got to see in chemistry. There's no way you can get into medical school. You should start thinking about a different thing. How many people have been told that? 
We have a lot of women in here, which is amazing. I don't know if you know the, the stats from last application cycle. First time ever, more women than men applied to medical school, more women than men got into medical school. So it's awesome. Um, how many women in here have been told, why do you want to be a doctor? It's so much work. You don't have time to have a family. Just go be a nurse. Yeah. Don't listen to those stupid people. Right? It's a lot of men saying that, unfortunately. It's a lot of women, too. Unfortunately. Don't, don't let anyone else's considerations about you and your journey stop you. If this is what you want, do it. If you continue to go through this journey and it's what you want, even if you fail a class, even if you bomb the MCAT, welcome to the club, even if you get rejected from medical school the first time you apply, if this is what you want, then do it. It's a long journey. And one year or two years at this point in your journey, in the grand scheme of things, has zero implications for your career as a physician. So just remember that. Um, just kind of a, a, a note, I am recording video and audio. Uh, if you're not comfortable with that, maybe don't stand up and ask a question. Um, but if you are comfortable with that, great. We're just hanging out. It's just going up on YouTube. Nothing, nothing uh, big. YouTube, Instagram. Instagram. It's all about Instagram. And TikTok. How many people are on TikTok? What is it? What is it? Nobody here? Only one person? Two? Wow. TikTok. I'm learning. I'm learning. I, I have an account. I'm learning. I'm learning how to use it. I don't know. Uh, but anyway. Um, so I just, I want to acknowledge you for being here, for going on this journey. How many of you have heard from a physician not to be a doctor? Not a lot, actually. I'm surprised. A lot of physicians don't like their job. Right? If you look at burnout rates, it's like 60% of physicians are burnt out. They're not happy with their careers. But being a physician is a an amazing career if you want to do it. Let me give you a little bit of backstory of who I am so you can understand a little bit about my journey, give you a little bit of context from, from what I'm talking about. So I grew up in Southern California in, in Redondo Beach. Grew up playing baseball, right? It's California. I play baseball. It's what you do. Um, and uh, thought I was going to go to Arizona State, be a baseball player in college at Arizona State, go on and play professional baseball. And uh, Rodney King riots happened. And uh, your age group, it's a little bit uh, young for that. Uh, but Rodney King riots happened, big thing in LA, 92, 93. And so my parents were like, okay, it's time to leave. And we moved to Florida. And in high school in, in Florida, I hurt my shoulder playing baseball and went to a physical therapist and said, oh, this is kind of interesting. I, maybe I can't be a professional baseball player, but I can help other people live their dreams and, and get them recovered. Now, it's a very common story for a lot of people who want to be physicians is you get injured, you get sick, grandma, grandpa, mom, dad gets injured, gets sick, dies, and you go, oh, this healthcare thing is kind of cool. There's this, there's this woman who came into the room wearing this cool white coat. And she cared for our family. She gave us hope. She 
saved mom, she saved dad. And you go, I think I want to check that out. And so it was the same for me. I grew up, my dad was a type 1 diabetic, died when I was 17. So I was around healthcare a bunch growing up, but never really thought about medicine until I got hurt myself. And so I started shadowing a, a physical therapist in high school. And the physical therapist at, at that point in time, this is 1997, uh, at that point in time, getting into medical school or getting into physical therapy school, rather, was really, really hard. Uh, the demand for physical therapy was, was skyrocketing. There weren't apparently a ton of physical therapy schools. Whatever the conditions were, getting was really hard. And the physical therapist was like, if you're smart enough to get into PT school, you might as well be a doctor. And that kind of sat with me for a little bit. And around the same time, I was in my senior year biology class dissecting Mr. Bigglesworth. That was my cat. Um, and how many people know the name Mr. Bigglesworth? What's it from? Austin Powers. There you go. Austin Powers. Good job. Um, so dissecting a cat, and I was hooked. So I wanted to cut people for a living. And so I took my love of wanting to cut things, and instead of turning into Dexter on TV, I put it to, to good use and said, I'm going to be an orthopedic surgeon, right? My love of physical therapy and sports and cutting things and putting them back together, I'm going to be an orthopedic surgeon. So I went to University of Florida for undergrad, wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. I majored in exercise physiology, applied to medical school. I actually, before I get to applying, met with my pre-med advisor, it's junior, sophomore year. And she saw me. This was pre-MCAT. I had really good grades. And she said, don't apply to medical school. You won't get in. You're a white male. There's too many of you applying. You won't get in. So I never talked to her again. I went off <laughs> and tried, tried to, to be my best self as a pre-med. And this was, right, we have our computers in our pocket all the time now. I can go and look up anything. Right? I can go on Instagram at Medical School HQ and find out all the best medical information. Um, all, the, all the best information online. When I was in school, we didn't really have it. And so I had to rely on a group of friends and books and, and professors and stuff. And I applied to medical school, didn't get in my first time. Asked some questions, tried to figure out what I did wrong, how I could do better, and eventually reapplied to medical school, got in, went to New York Medical College in New York, just north of the city. And I went on an Air Force scholarship. So as soon as I got in, I went to Uncle Sam and said, hey, Mr. Air Force, can you, can you pay for medical school for me? And uh, they, they accepted the scholarship application and they paid for medical school. And when it came to applying for orthopedic surgery, the Air Force said, nope, you can't be an orthopedic surgeon. So that kind of sucked. Uh, so I went and did an internship year in Boston. My wife, who I met in medical school, was doing her residency in neurology in Boston. So we both moved from New York to Boston. And then I went and started my active duty career in Dover, Delaware as an active duty flight surgeon. Now, as cool as it sounds, a flight surgeon does not cut things. So I wasn't happy, right? I wanted to cut things. Um, I, as a flight surgeon, take care of pilots and their families and uh, firefighters doing firefighter physicals and police officers sometimes and air traffic controllers. And I got to go around and make sure that the maintenance shops where they paint the airplanes and clean the airplanes and do things with the airplanes, making sure everyone's healthy in those places. It was a really cool job. I really liked it. 
that was 2010. I started doing that. In 2012, having gone through the process, understanding that there was a lot of negativity in this world as a pre-med with lots of misinformation telling you that you can't get into medical school if you have a C or B minus or B or two Bs um, or not two Bs. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I started my website, medicalschoolhq.net and started my podcast in 2012. And then in 2014, had some health issues, decided to get out of the military and I've been doing this full time now since 2015 writing books, doing podcasts, talking to students, helping students as much as possible, overcome their doubts, overcome their fears, overcome their obstacles, and really show them that if this is what they want, that you can do it. So with that, let's talk about um, the, the general process of a pre-med. Uh, a bunch of you raised your hand applying next year, more a couple years out. The process is typically looked at from students as a giant checklist. How many people think it's just a checklist? You check off all the boxes and you'll be good. You'll get into medical school. There's some hands, right? And other hands that are like, yeah, I'm too scared to raise my hand, but it's there. So it may seem that way, right? It may seem like there are all these things that you have to do to get into medical school. And if you do them, right, if you get some clinical experience, if you get good grades, if you get, do well in the MCAT, you shadow, you volunteer, right, you, you check off all those boxes, then you're good to go. And unfortunately, when a student applies, if you apply with your application that looks like a giant checklist, that you just went down the list and said, oh, yep, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this, without any real meaning behind why you were doing it, except the fact that you thought you had to do it, those students don't get into medical school, typically. Because there's so many applications to medical schools, the medical schools are looking for the passion behind why you are doing things. And so I highly encourage you right this minute to stop looking at this process as what do I have to do? What should I do? to stand out to the admissions committee? What will help my application rise to the top? I can guarantee you that short of curing cancer, the thing that you think is unique and will help you stand out has been done a thousand times before. And that may make you upset and may make you sad and mommy told you you were special and so how dare Ryan say this? But trust me, Nothing you are going to do is going to stand out so much that medical schools are going to freak out and say, holy crap, I want this student. Look at what they did. And so if you understand that, then what should happen in your mind is that you are more at ease because now you're not walking around thinking, what do I have to do? What do I have to do? What do I have to do? You're now thinking, what do I want to do? And it's your choice now. If you love soccer and you want to be a soccer coach, go be a soccer coach. Enjoy that. What does being a soccer coach teach you? 
Oh, it teaches you leadership skills, communication skills, organizational skills. Guess what you need to be as a doctor? Leadership skills, communication skills, organizational skills. Go follow your passions through this process. And don't let anyone tell you that you shouldn't do something because it's not related to medicine. This whole process needs students that are coming from different backgrounds, coming from different passions, coming from different experiences. Right? You can't, you can't have an orchestra only full of people who play the flute. You need people who play every instrument to create an orchestra to have that beautiful sound. And so as you go through this process, don't ask anyone, what should I do? What will help me in my application? Continue to look at your life. Look at your experiences. What are you passionate about? What brings you joy? Because at the end of the day, it's the joy that continues to get knocked down over and over and over again with tests, classes, professors, classmates, MCAT, 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 applications, <laughs> right? It's a hard process. And you're just getting started, right? You look up at that, that I love the, the little meme or the little image of the little hiker going up the hill going, okay, I made it. And then the next, the next little box of the cartoon, it's, it's like, nope, that's just one stop. <laughs> the hill keeps going up. You're like, darn, medical school sucks. But it's amazing. Medical school is really, really hard. But it's awesome. How many people are questioning whether or not you're smart enough for medical school? Yeah. Welcome to the club. But guess what? I guarantee you that you're all smart enough. You don't have to be smart to do well in medical school. You just have to work really, really, really hard. There's nothing magical about learning medicine. It's just a lot of information. So get that doubt out of your head because I guarantee you, you're smart enough. So as you go through this journey, now it's not a checklist And now it's not, I have to have perfect grades. I have to have a perfect MCAT score to get into medical school. Now it's all about your story. And what is your story going to tell the admissions committee? Are they going to understand your journey in exploring medicine and wanting to be a physician? Or are they going to think that you like science and want to help people? Right? That's at the core. How many people like science and want to help people in here? right? Almost every hand should go up, right? Maybe not like science, maybe tolerate science enough, right? Or don't know if you like science yet because you're non-traditional and you're just starting in this path. Liking science and wanting to help people is, that's foundational. That's not why you want to be a doctor. Don't make that be your story. How many people were at the the tent earlier at my table? The line was really long. I've been talking a lot this morning. Um, So there's this little thing 
called the medical school application. And in your application, the whole goal of that application is to tell your story. You have a personal statement, right? 5,300 characters to tell your story. Anyone thinking about applying to Texas schools? A few? <clears throat> so Texas schools, it's 5,000 characters. A little bit different. 5,300 characters to tell your story. Spaces included. I had a lot of students freak out. Like, how do I squeeze my whole life into 5,300 characters? And then you have your extracurriculars, your activity section, talking about everything that you've done from pre-med clubs to not curing cancer to, to volunteering at the soup kitchen to shadowing doctors and working in the emergency department, stocking the shelves. <clears throat> and then you have your secondary applications. When schools get your primary application, they send you more essays, more work, more writing. And you tell your story even more. I've seen students, I've talked to students with 520s on the MCAT. Do people know the MCAT score range? So 472 is the lowest, 528 is the highest. So 520 is like 96th, 97th percentile, roughly. Really, really good. 3.9 GPAs, really, really good. Zero interviews. Because it's more than your stats. Her story didn't line up. I looked at her application. I had no idea why she wanted to be a doctor. She had no idea why she wanted to be a doctor. She didn't do any shadowing. Didn't have any clinical experience. <clears throat> How many people think shadowing and clinical experience is for the medical schools? It was a leading question. Shadowing clinical experience, right, going back to the, the checkboxes, those are for you to prove to yourself that this is what you want. How many people grew up taking care of, like, an ill family member? Yeah. Kind of cool, right, to be there for a loved one. Taking care of someone else's ill family member kind of sucks, right? It's, it's their family yelling at you now instead of your family yelling at you now. You can tolerate one more than another. <clears throat> their smells are a little bit different than your family. And so taking care of your own grandma Gertrude, much different than someone else's. And so you need to go out, you need to shadow, you need to get clinical experience to prove to yourself that this is what you want. Who wants to get $250,000 in debt going through medical school only to come out on the other side going, holy crap, I don't like this. That would suck a lot. So you, you go through this journey, getting these experiences, proving to yourself. And then when it comes to the application cycle, then you write about it and you tell your story. And then you interview and you tell your story some more. And then hopefully you get in. <clears throat> now, I'm not saying you can get into medical school with a terrible GPA and a terrible MCAT score, right? You have to have some baseline level of scores. I'm not, I'm not telling you to, to go back to your school and say, Dr. Grace said my grades don't matter. Right? There's another, another meme I like. It's always on Fridays. They come out, the, the student throwing all the papers up in the air. It's Friday. And the next one, just kidding. I'm a pre-med. 
I had taken them out. <laughs> I still got to study. Um, how many are, are you, how many of you are worried that being a doctor is too stressful? So let's talk about that for a minute. What is it, for, for one of you that raised your hand, what is it about being a doctor that you think is stressful? Constant worry that like other people's well-being is in like, your hands. So the constant worry of other people's well-being is in your hands, right? Oh my God, if I screw up, they're going to die. That sucks. That doesn't go away. <laughs> right? There's, there's this, this thought, this uh, imposter syndrome, right? Like, I shouldn't be here. I'm not good enough to be here. That doesn't go away either. Sorry. But you, get, you do better dealing with it because you know you should be there. Right? The first time you get an email in your inbox going, congratulations, we want to invite you for an interview. You go, woohoo, I get an interview. Wait, is that for me? <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't know. Did any of you see uh, there was a school last week that sent out some, oops, sorry, that wasn't for you. Apparently, it's not the first time they've done it, so <laughs> I won't throw them under the bus. Um, <clears throat> uh, but if you're applying anywhere in the Midwest, the schools that start with I, maybe, um, <clears throat> check it out. I, th I think it was them, um, one of them. Uh, but then you get that interview invite, and you're there, and you show up on interview day, you're, and you, you look at everyone else going, oh, my God, they look so much smarter than I do. They're dressed so much nicer. I, I shouldn't be here. I don't think I should be here. And then you show up your first day of medical school and you're like, oh my God, all of these people are brilliant. I shouldn't be here. Then you show up your first day of internship. Oh my God, I, I'm not smart enough to take care of patients. I'm going to kill them all. <laughs> it never ends. You just have to trust yourself and know that every step of this journey is meant to prepare you for the next it's a fun process. And at the end of the day, being a physician is hard. My wife's a neurologist. She's still practicing. Uh, she recently had her own private practice for a little bit. And it's hard. She would come home at night and, and chart, right? Charting is the bane of every physician's existence right now with Medicare guidelines and what they require you document and electronic medical records and how many boxes you have to click. Any scribes in the room? So scribes know, right? That's why scribes are becoming a thing again. Scribes used to be a thing a long time ago. Now they're becoming a thing again because doctors don't have time to document. So now we hire people to do it for us. So she would come home and, and finish her charts for like two or three hours a night. It's not very fun. But it's an amazing career that you have so much impact on people's lives. So I acknowledge you all for being here, wanting to go down this path, even knowing Right? Knowing that there's a lot of physician burnout, knowing that it's hard, knowing that every step of the way you're questioning yourself, you're doubting yourself. It's so much easier to go to your plan B. And I encourage you not to have a plan B. Because with that, with that plan B hanging out there, you are more distracted not going to your plan A. And so you're only proving to yourself by having a plan B that you can't get your plan A. So all of your plan Bs should be continuing to support plan A. 
obviously everyone's life situation is different. You have to feed a family. You have to put a roof over your head. You have to pay your bills, whatever it is. Do that all in support of plan A. So I want to do the last 20 minutes or so Q&A. Anybody have any questions? Yeah. So family life, uh, how did I manage family life and medicine and residency? So luckily, I didn't have a family during that time. So I met my wife. We, we met. Uh, she stalked me like the first couple weeks of medical school. Um, <laughs> and we started dating first year of medical school. And we got married during our internship year. And we purposefully decided not to have a family until after she was done with residency. But there's no right or wrong. That was our decision. Uh, I have students I, I talk to and work with a lot of non-traditional students who have families going into medical school. And how do you handle that? With lots of planning and lots of support and lots of communication. So communicating with your partner, communicating with your family. What do you need? What support do you need? So it's, it's everything is possible. It's just a matter of what you want to, to deal with through the process. <clears throat> <laughs> You're like, uh, yeah. What's up? <coughs> In the interest of making more interesting stories, how do medical schools look upon politics? Yeah, yeah. What's the 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 like three things you're not supposed to talk about at the dinner table? Uh, sex, politics, and religion. Well, I don't think I combine sex and politics, but if I wanted to get involved in politics, our current administration would... does. <laughs> No? Too soon? <laughs> um, politics in what way? So explain that. Say you want to volunteer for a campaign. Maybe you want to dabble in that person. Yeah. And then you put that on your activity list yep. and you apply and the person goes, oh my God, how could you support that person? <laughs> right? So that's your concern. A little bit possibly. Yeah. So ideally... Personal bias remains out of the process. In reality, we're all humans, right? And statistically speaking, if I mention our president's name, 50% of you will cringe and 50% of you will cheer, right? And that's just the way it is. And so as you go through this process, there's a little bit of luck involved with who's reading your application whether or not their own personal biases will come into play. The best thing that you can do when you go through this process is have empathy. When you're interviewing specifically, that comes up, right? So let's say that you have an interview question. What are your thoughts on abortion? And your, your answer is, I believe that life begins at conception Anyone who has an abortion should rot in hell, right? Is that empathetic? No, not at all. And so that's not a good answer, right? I, I hate to say there are good answers and bad answers, but that's not a good answer. A good answer would be, well, I'm pro-life. I believe life begins at conception. I can understand that there are women out there who will want an abortion because of X, Y, Z, and that's their right to do so. And I will support them in that, right? 
There's your stance. There's your empathy for the other side. And so if you're talking about supporting a campaign where maybe someone's far left, far right, wherever they are, and it comes off more like this person is the best and everyone who disagrees with him or her is terrible, then that's wrong. Okay? So you just have to play the empathy game and understand that there are going to be people who view your choices differently. And as long as you are being empathetic to them, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, along the lines of the first question, have you seen students apply to Northern Medical School whilst already having a family or starting a family? Yeah. So applying, going through medical school with a family, definitely. It happens all the time. And so on the pre-mid years podcast, which I hope you all subscribe to, um, you laugh, but I like, in, like my, the whole tent, like the line is like people just person after person saying like the pre-mid years just like changed their life and supports them and gives them encouragement. And I want that for you. So go listen, go subscribe. I don't get, it's all free. I don't get anything for it. Um, uh, I've talked to probably a half dozen or so different, uh, mostly women um, who have families going through medical school. And, and what that process is like and how they get support and how they do it. It's doable. It's hard, but it's doable. Definitely. Yeah. Um, back on the topic of politics, specifically like, <laughs> um, medical policies and yeah. care and everything. So when would be a good time for us as like, students interested in medicine to yep. become more educated on? I, I think you as a U.S. citizen should get smart about it now. Um, so the question was like, when, when should we start to understand politics and healthcare policy and all that stuff now, right? Do you get healthcare? You should understand how it works. Uh, our healthcare system sucks. We're the best USA. Number one. (laughs) No, no. Um, we have a lot of amazing innovation. We have a lot of amazing technology. We have amazing physicians. Our our medical schools are amazing. Our healthcare system, not so, not so great. Learn about it now. So I recommend uh, a podcast by my friend, another podcast. I'm a podcast uh, addict, if you haven't uh, noticed by now. So uh, my friend, uh, Jen Briney, she does the Congressional Dish podcast. Um, she has had a bunch of amazing podcasts about the Affordable Care Act, about the American Health Care Act, which is the the program that the current administration tried to implement. Um, so I would go get smart about it now. Congressional dish. Uh, there's a book called The Healthcare Handbook that I would recommend. It gives you a lot of great information. I think you need to understand what our healthcare system is. Why do we have it? Why do we have an employer-based healthcare system? Right? You have to have a job to get healthcare for the most part. Why do we have that? Why did that start? What do other countries have? Right? What what does Canada's universal health care look like compared to, to, to Great Britain, right? UK? What does that look like? How are they different? How are they the same? Why don't we have that here? All that stuff you should understand. Yeah. So dual degree MD PhD. Was there more to that question? 
Yeah. So for MD-PhD, the, the biggest misconception around MD-PhD is that you have to have an MD-PhD to do research. And that's 100% false. One of my best friends from medical school, Dr. Maureen Leonard, she runs the Celiac Clinic at MGH, Harvard, right? Mass General, man's greatest hospital. She's, quote, just an MD. And she does research like four, four and a half days a week. Doing clinical research, bench research, a little bit of everything. So you don't have to have the PhD to do research if that's what you want. An MD-PhD is someone who kind of knows what they want, right? Has this kind of idea of what they want to study and have an interest in curing some form of cancer or something, right? And you know that your career, you want to be mostly bench research with a small little dabble of patients. And so for those students, it's all the same, right? You still need to be a doctor. So you still need to know what it's like to take care of patients and want to impact their lives, but you're also getting a ton of research. The application is just a little bit different. There's a whole uh, MD-PhD essay, 10,000 character essay, where you talk about your research and what it is you're passionate about research-wise. The interview day is a little bit different. It's a two-day interview typically instead of one day. One day doing uh, the research interviews and one day doing the MD interviews or DO interviews. There's, M- there's DO PhDs as well. Um, but really, it's, it's just a matter of, of envisioning your life. If, if you're like, I want research, that's what drives me, great. We need, we need researchers. But just understand that you can be a huge researcher with, quote, just an MD or a DO. Yeah. In regards to extracurriculars. Yep. Uh, is there a balance between like clinical experience, shadowing, volunteer? For myself, I have about six years cumulative of clinical experience with very little shadowing okay. and volunteer. Okay. Um, so would that be an, an issue, I guess, in that in that field as far as extracurriculars? Or? So the balance between clinical experience, shadowing, volunteering, if you have a lot more of one and not of another, I think they're all important. Shadowing, I think at some point, starts to get a little boring. How many of you have a lot of shadowing hours? It gets boring after a while, right? For, like, real shadowing, you're just standing there. <laughs> okay, I've heard this same conversation over and over again. Um, so at some point, like, shadowing is just, like, it's useless after a while, right? I, I know what a doctor's life is like. I, I know I want this. I'm bored out of my mind. I recommend consistency in everything. And so at some point, as you go through this journey, don't go, okay, I got 100 hours of shadowing, I'm done. I don't need any more, I can go focus on the next thing, right? That's a a checkbox, okay? So consistency would be, eh, let's maintain like five hours a month, right? Instead of five hours a week or 10 hours a week, whatever it is, they get five hours a month. So you're consistent with it. I, I recommend probably more clinical experience, which is great, which is what you have, uh, but have that shadowing as well. <clears throat> yeah? Uh, how does your pre-med student and undergrad student uh, budget for the interview process, but also in <laughs> So appexpenses.com, appexpenses.com uh, is a website. It's my website. Uh, it's an it's a application calculator. And it's got a little slider. You, you estimate how many MD schools you're going to apply to, how many DO schools, how many Texas schools. 
where you live, like where, where, what airport you're going to fly out of, and then it'll estimate kind of how expensive applications cost. Unfortunately, that medical school application process is expensive, very expensive, and it limits students from disadvantaged backgrounds. Um, I highly encourage you to look into and apply for the fee assistance program as soon as you are thinking of applying. The fee assistance program from the AAMC is good for two years. It helps with the MCAT and it helps with your application costs. So I would highly encourage you to look into it. It's a long process. Questions about FAP? No. No, all right. (laughs) It's just going up quick. Um, But use the calculator and, and, right, it's just normal budgeting. Like, okay, I have a year. This is my estimated cost. I'm going to save X number of dollars every month until then. A lot of students sign up for 0% interest credit cards around that time. And that's like a little 18-month, usually the 18-month kind of free money for a little bit. So it's expensive, unfortunately. Yeah. What are your thoughts about doing a post-bac before medical school? Post-bac before medical school. What are my thoughts? How many people know what a post-bac is? How many people don't know what a post-bac is? So post-bac. So as as you're in undergrad, right, this is your baccalaureate degree. A post-bac is after your baccalaureate degree. It's post-baccalaureate. Uh, so there are a few different ways to do a post-bac. You can do what's called a do-it-yourself, where you just continue here at UC Davis and say, hey, UC Davis, I know I graduated, but I love you so much. I want to keep taking classes. Can you take my money? Uh, there are formal post-bac programs where you apply for a post-bac program. UC Davis has one. Um, lots, of, lots of schools have them. They're becoming more and more popular. Post-bac programs, again, going back to... Like, do you want to do it? Do you think you should do it? A lot of students are like, they think that post-bac programs are like the norm. Like, this is what I have to do to get into medical school. No. If you have a 3.9 GPA, you don't need a post-bac program. If you have a 3.7 GPA, you don't need a post-bac program. If your grades don't adequately tell the story that you are going to be successful in medical school, then you may need a post-bac program. And so it's not, should you do one to look good to medical schools? It's should you do one because you have to show that you can handle the curriculum. That's, that's the decision for a post-bac program. Okay? Yeah. You were talking about, like, your path a lot. Yep. What would you say to someone that's maybe at a spot where there's a fork or several forks in yeah. path, and they're trying to decide if, you know, pre-med and that kind of stuff, is definitely what they want to shoot for. Yeah. Or if it's research or totally major yeah. or things like that. Lots of, of exploration of, of you and those careers. Right? So we can shadow physicians. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, shadowing. Right? That's, that's not unique to physicians, though. We have normal job shadowing. Right? So you can, you can go shadow researchers. You can go shadow whatever else you're potentially interested in. Talk to those people. Find mentors in those places and see if that's something you want. One of the coolest things about being a physician is once you have that degree, you can be anything, including a podcaster, an Instagram star <laughs> at Medical School HQ. Um, and so you could become a physician and still go do everything else that you're passionate about. And sometimes, Students do that. I knew students in my medical school class 
who had no intentions of practicing medicine. They wanted the degree that was going to help them go start a startup or go be a, a um, advisor to a startup, right? Or go into industry in the pharmaceutical industry or the device industry. It's a cool path. There's lots of options. But just go ask questions, as many as you can. Yeah, yellow shirt. Reapplying, yeah. It depends. It depends. They could. They probably don't have time. So it just depends on the school. I would tell you that as a reapplicant, you need to improve your application. You should probably have a new personal statement. You should probably continue getting extracurricular activities and, and showing growth there. Reapplying is not a, 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 like a death blow. <coughs> there are some, <coughs> some, some students are like, I'm going to apply even though I know I'm not going to get in. I'm going to apply on the last day. I'm going to apply with my terrible grades because medical schools want reapplicants. How many of you have heard that? Like medical schools want to see you reapply. <laughs> a few of you. That's a terrible idea. Right? Let me go spend $3,000 to submit my application just so when I apply for real, I'm a reapplicant and they're going to like that. They're going to look at my determination, my resiliency. That's a terrible idea. Um, yeah, so as a reapplicant, it, it's. The answer to almost every question is it depends, unfortunately. Every school is going to be a little bit different with their processes. You do mark when you apply to medical school if you are a reapplicant to that school. And so it is flagged on your application. They have that ability to look up your old application. It doesn't really matter, though. What are they going to look up? Okay, how many hours did you have here, here? Okay, no, no, only, oh, no, the, 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 oh, no. They just don't have time. There's so many. So many applications, right? They care about who you are right now. Yeah. Lots and lots of phone calls and emails and putting yourself out there, right? So all of you, again, I recognize all of you are here. That's step one. Put yourself out there. Talk to people. Let them know you're pre-med. I talk to so many students who don't tell anyone that they're pre-med, right? Don't tell their classmates because they're like, oh, they're going to think about me differently. Like in, in your jobs, you don't tell someone that you're pre-med. A quick story. When I was applying to medical school my second time, I was living in Boston. I was a, a fitness program manager at a gym. There was the general manager of, of the gym I was at, and then there was me right below her. And I'm applying to medical school in stealth mode, right? I'm a manager. I don't want to be demoted. I, I want to make sure I have good upward trajectory with my career here, just in case things don't work out. Uh, and I have to apply again later. Uh, and so I never told her I was applying to medical school until I got in. And I said, sat down and said, hey, Bonnie, I'm going to medical school. She goes, why didn't you tell me you were pre-med? My dad's on faculty at Wash U. He's a pulmonologist. <laughs> I was like, fuck. <laughs> <sighs> Tell everyone. <laughs> Tell everyone. Right? It's human nature. We want to help. Right? We want to help. 
unfortunately, being a physician means you're busy. And being a physician means maybe they don't answer your email the first time or second time or third time. But until you get a no, it doesn't mean anything. It just means keep bothering them. So I, I'm, I'm working on a website. Unfortunately, it's not ready yet. You can check it out. It's called findshadowing.com um, because I know shadowing is really hard for students to find, um, to put yourself out there, to call physicians, to call offices, to find shadowing. And so I have a, a team working on building this website and, and building a database of physicians that are, that are putting their hands up and saying, yes, I'll allow students to shadow me. So just keep checking that out. Yes. So through your experience in um, working as a flight surgeon, I'm just wondering if you have anything you would have done differently looking back on it. Ooh, differently. It's the regret question. Not yeah. Oh, yeah. So if I would have done anything differently. Um, so it's, it's interesting. I, I, I get asked this question a lot and I talk to my wife about it a lot, right? If, if I didn't join the Air Force, I might be an orthopedic surgeon right now, right? But if I didn't join the Air Force and I was an orthopedic surgeon, I sure as heck wouldn't be here. So I wouldn't have time to start a podcast, become an Instagram star. <laughs> at medical school HQ. <laughs> um, uh, but it, it's, you never know, right? And, and so thinking like that, is, it's, it's useless. It's, it's a game of what ifs and it's just, it doesn't end up anywhere good because then you start doubting your life. And I'm happy with my life. I love coming and chatting with you guys, giving you hope and encouragement and motivation. And, and some of you get that from your pre-med advisors, which is amazing. Some of you don't. And so I'm here for you. Yes, way back there. Say that again. Do I plan to go back into medicine? No. I gave up my medical license in 2017. Why? Because I'm a podcaster. <laughs> Can you keep it? No. So, so at, with, for a medical license, you have to do a lot to keep them. How many of you are EMTs in here? So as an EMT, right, you know, you have to have the continuing education, right? As a, as a physician, you need CME, continuing medical education. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of work. It's just, it's not worth it. So I said, I don't need you. Be free. If you love something, let it, let it go. All right, I'll always be a doctor. Right? I, I, get to, I still get to call myself a doctor and get to have my, my degree, and that gives me the MD but as a practicing physician, nope, I'm done. Yeah. What are your thoughts on retaking the MCAT? Retaking the MCAT. So just like reapplying, right? Oh, if I retake the MCAT, it's going to show how determined I am. So I'm just going to walk in and take it. I'm prepared. Um, I, I would highly encourage all of you not to retake the MCAT. The MCAT sucks. It's a terrible test. I had shirts that I was giving away at the table. Did anybody, anyone grab one? No? <clears throat> it's an MCAT and chill. <laughs> we got one over there. I got some stickers. Yeah, there we go. MCAT and chill. Um, the MCAT is a terrible, miserable test. How many of you have taken it? Would you agree with me? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody likes the MCAT. I, I, <laughs> I had a doctor's appointment last week. No, three weeks ago. I was chatting with the doctor, and he's like, what, what do you do? You podcast? You do this thing? He's like, blah, blah, blah. And he's, so he's telling me a story. He's about 10 years older than I am. 
He's like, yeah. He's like, I wasn't even pre-med, but my roommates were pre-med. So I'm like, yeah, maybe I guess I'll be pre-med or be a doctor. He's like, oh, yeah, I got to take the MCAT. He's like, I, I took my big MCAT book to the library the night before the test. <laughs> and I realized that it was impossible to study it all. So I just, I decided I wasn't going to study and that a good night's sleep would save me. That <laughs> <laughs> punk got interviews at Harvard. And <laughs> um, what? Yeah, yeah. Smart people are smart people. Um, so, so the, the MCAT, so reta- retaking the MCAT is something, if you have to do it, you have to do it. There's, there's going to be a minimum score I would recommend getting above a 500 as, as like a baseline. Um, I know students who get in below 500, there's, there's lots of other parts of their application that are the reasons why they're getting in. Um, some medical schools will have a firm cutoff. Like I won't interview anyone under 500. Just won't look at their application. And so find out what that number is for you. If you get your score back, have a number in your head to go, if I get below whatever, I know I'm going to retake it because of the schools that I want to apply to, the, where I want to be, et cetera. But understand, and I, I know I'm running over here so we can wrap up. Uh, understand that the school that you go to has no bearing on whether or not you're going to be a great physician. It's your work, your effort, your ability to go out and to communicate with others and network that is going to build your career as a physician. So don't pick schools based on their reputation. Pick schools based on their ability to make you great. Okay? Find a good fit for you, not because you want their name on your diploma. All right, there you have it. I hope that was a good episode for you. Different episode than my normal episodes, but I had fun at that talk at the UC Davis Pre-Health Conference. If you haven't gone to that conference before, you should check it out. Again, just Google UC Davis Pre-Health Conference and you'll find it. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.